Hey, welcome. We're back. Before we get started, I wanted to make sure that I let you know what's happening in this episode. I am super excited. The person I have on is the Enneagram 4. She is a beast with the Enneagram, and you're going to have an exciting time. Now, one thing I do want to remind you of is that the fact that this is my first Skype interview, so I forgot to push that microphone change button, so my voice is going to sound very different because it's going to be coming straight from the computer's microphone and not my specialized microphone. Also, Chi Chi at the time was in a snowstorm in Denver and so the lights and power were going out so there may be a short part that goes out but now you know exactly what was happening. Also, I want to send a special shout out to one of my Patreon supporters who's helping to keep this po podcast going. Isidore Schneider, thank you so much. You're the greatest uh, for supporting. And if you want to support me at Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash do it for the gram. All right, here we go. Let's get it rolling. Welcome to Do It For The Gram, an Enneagram podcast with your host, certified Enneagram coach, Milton Stewart. And today I'm super excited. I'm super excited. We're doing an interview with the one, the only, Chichi Ogorum <laughs> of Thin Space Collective. Chichi, say hi to the audience. Hi. <laughs> I'm really excited to be joining you today. So I'm, I'm super excited because Chichi is one of, she's one of the people who understands the Enneagram at such a rich and deep level and is constantly growing. It's absolutely amazing. So Thank me you. and Chichi, we don't go back like four flats on the Cadillac necessarily, but <laughs> We are already super close because of the intensive week we did in the Enneagram certification program. So we just like got to know each other with everybody else in there. And it was absolutely amazing. She also introduced me to Fu. I think I said it right. Is that right? <laughs> you did. You did. Okay. So Fu, a Vietnamese, you know, like chicken noodle soup or just noodle type soup. Uh, absolutely amazing. Now I eat it everywhere I go in Memphis. I try to find Vietnamese. Yes. Uh, um, My work is done. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, leading um, our group the last day, a couple of us to go to the beach was also amazing. And so mm -hmm. Chi-Chi is an Enneagram 4. So she understands the experience of things. And so she was able to do that. So before we get started, you want to intro yourself or say anything about um, Thin Space Collective. Sure. Um, hi, I'm Chi Chi. Um, I run something called Thin Space Collective. I started it a while ago before I got trained in the Enneagram just because I love gatherings. I love um, good conversations over good food and good drinks and bringing people together, helping people feel less alone. Um, but that has evolved to also now include the Enneagram. So I teach workshops with the Enneagram. Um, this summer, I'm hoping to host a summer series of gatherings using the Enneagram. I do type discovery, um, couples consulting, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, and there's w way more information about that um, on my website, thinspaceco.com, or you can follow on Instagram at, at thinspaceco. But I do that with half of my time and the other half of my time, I am a mental health therapist and I work with um, families who have adopted kids as well as doing regular uh, individual couples work. Um, and that's what fills my days. That's awesome. That's super cool. 
I think one of the funniest things uh, before we get into it is that. So I think part of this is a cultural overlay and like being a type four and also like with me being a type seven. So every day for our intensive class, like Chi-Chi would be late every day. I'm just going to say it. Chi-Chi would be late every day. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to correct that um, uh -oh. real quick because <laughs> you all went to, so for our intensive, we had at the start of every day, I think from eight to nine or something like that, yeah. there, was, uh, there was a part you could come to if you were new to the Enneagram or wanted to like dive deep into, I think she did it by centers or something. Right. I didn't want to go to that part, so I always came right at nine o'clock when the real part was supposed to start, but everybody else came to the early part. So then it seemed as if I was late. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but this is something that was amazing. This was like the, the unique foreignness, what I really want to talk about, about like every time she came in, it was like, what, what is the phrase uh, fashionably late? Like, at least that's how I saw it. Uh -huh, you said uh -huh. you're on time, but like uh -huh. Chi Chi, like the fashion was on point. Like every time she walked in the door, it's like, yep. She's a four, she's unique. She got her own style, but it's like super classy. She walked in, it's like super classy. Like, man, okay. Uh, Chi Chi's in the building. Now the first day I was late. Definitely. Uh -huh. late. And my seven well, you, go my seven just came all the way out. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. I, I actually hate walking into rooms late because the experience of opening the door and having everybody like turn and look oh, at you yeah. is so uncomfortable. But I also knew I didn't want to. I was commuting from further away right. for this thing. So I didn't want to be there at eight o'clock either. So I was like, well, I'm just going to deal with people like turning to look at me when I open the door at 8.58. But and see, that's the difference. Like as a seven, the first day I was totally OK with everybody looking at me. Right. <laughs> Of course. I literally made a show out of it. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's dive in. Um, so something that Ginger said while we were at our WitchCon, she said the Enneagram, we don't find the Enneagram, it finds us. Mm -hmm. So Chi Chi, how did the Enneagram find you? Well, um, I first heard about the Enneagram when I was in grad school, like four or five years ago. And um, I thought it was weird. And the person who told me about it, I wasn't necessarily sure that I generally trusted his judgment. So <laughs> I was like, this symbol looks weird. I don't know if I trust what you're telling me about it. Is this a cult? I'm not it. interested. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not interested. Moving on. Um, and I felt like, well, I don't really need another system. Um, at the time, I was really obsessed with the Myers-Briggs and other kinds of personality things like that so it's like I have enough systems that I think work I'm good um but it did feel as though the Enneagram was quote-unquote you know pursuing me like trying to find me because right. I kept I think over the next couple years kept hearing about it from different people more people that I trusted um it just kept showing up so then once I was done with all of the reading and writing for grad school and I had more time I started reading about the Enneagram and it felt like uh, definitely like the most it made the most sense to me as far as the system that explains um, personality structures and core motivations and I've always been fascinated with people how people work um, how I work how relationships work so it seemed 
appealing for that reason. Um, but I still wasn't sold because I typed, I did an online test when I, um, first started getting to know the Enneagram mm -hmm. and mistyped as right. a different type, which is part of why I have a soapbox about online tests. Yes. But <laughs> yes. We'll talk about that. Keep going. We'll talk about that. Yeah. But because that the type that I originally thought I was, wasn't really my home base. I kept feeling like, well, does this thing really, is it really true? This right. doesn't feel completely accurate for me. There are parts of this that make sense, but there are other parts that don't feel Right. And so I was still kind of skeptical, even though um, I was definitely drawn to the system. And I feel like once I found my home base um, on the map, it felt like 100% accurate, 100% revealing and uncomfortable, but also kind of like a sigh of relief. Does your workplace stink because the culture sucks? Are you tired of tolerating people and wish you could all work together cohesively? Does the mere idea of going into work give you anxiety? If you said yes to any one of these, you should probably quit your job. But since you're not going to quit your job, you should contact Kaizen Careers. At Kaizen Careers, we are all about improving workplace performance. We use a unique tool called the Enneagram. The Enneagram helps individuals and organizations become more self-aware. That self-awareness lends into helping organizations with communication, conflict management, and leadership development, ultimately turning self-awareness into self-mastery and creating healthy workplace cultures so you can improve your services and bottom lines. Contact Kaizen Careers at K-A-I-Z-E-N-C-A-R-E-E-R-S.com or Milton at KaizenCareers.com or give us a call at 901-334-1644. Most people know that with fours, there's an experience of, um, it's like the opposite end of wanting to be seen as unique or different is that you end up feeling lonely most of the time. Mm -hmm. And coming to the Enneagram and finding out about the type four structure felt so freeing in that I immediately I was like, oh, it's not just me. I'm not the only one with this experience. Oh, great. I don't have to stand out anymore. And that felt really good. Um, but previously, I mistyped as a six um, mm. when I did the online test. Yeah. And for a while, I've like talked about it as a mistype. Um, I have I've always had. Well, I shouldn't say always um, from like my teenage years, late teens, um, I've had anxiety. And so just like general anxiety mm -hmm. and the way that the Enneagram was presented to me at first, it was like, well, the number that has anxiety is six, um, as if the other numbers on the circle don't experience anxiety. Wow. And so I, that was the part where I was like, okay, well, sure. I have anxiety and, um, I can tend to like threat forecast and all of that. The more that I understand the system and the more that I understand myself, within the system, I realized that it, it wasn't really a mistype. I am a four, a hundred percent, as far as like my core motivations, but mm -hmm. I show up in the world as a six because I am mm. black, because I'm a woman and because right. I'm an immigrant. I'm mm. currently scanning my environment for threats. I'm currently, or I'm, I'm uh, most of the time, 10, five or 10 steps ahead, uh, planning for what potentially could go wrong. Um, and trying to protect myself from an environment that feels harsh and threatening. And so I show up in the world as a six for survival, mm. but at my core, I'm a four. That was amazing. Like that, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, 
<laughs> listeners like that was super amazing i love that because it's so real it's mm -hmm. so real to how we interact and defend ourselves in this world like how we have to go against especially being an immigrant being black mm -hmm. and being a woman mm -hmm. Ooh, that's that's a lot yeah and i think it's that's the i've been thinking about this a lot recently of how much of our type structures are in response to um environmental stressors and then I get asked a lot too when I teach about the Enneagram like how, how does trauma impact or influence our type structures right. but for me that was like a very clear um like it's the, a lot of the six type structures still make so much sense to me as far as the behavior and I think when we get stuck at just behavioral observation of type structure mm -hmm. we can lose sight of the actual core self and the core motivation um, cause even still some of my good friends who know me really well, better than most other people will still make jokes about, are you sure you're not a six? Cause I still can show <laughs> up in the world in that way. But again, it's for survival. Um, because in moments where I feel completely safe, yeah. um, which is rare, <laughs> um, I don't, you know, I think about myself as a kid, um, like 15 and younger, I was so self-obsessed, so uh, internal, didn't care what was happening around me. I wasn't scanning for any threats. Um, I felt completely um, protected from the outside world. Um, yeah. I was just a kid. I wasn't yet, um, I grew up in Nigeria. I wasn't yet black because <laughs> everybody <laughs> around me looked the same. There was no threat based on the color of my skin. Right. Um, uh, there were some threats, you know, based on being female. Um, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. in general, like I was, I looked like you would expect a four to look as a kid. But then when the threats were introduced to my safety, I show up in the world more like a six. Mm. Um, and I think that a lot of times the conversation around the Enneagram is about behavior. Um, so you like doing fun things and going on adventures. You must be a seven. Um, and that can keep you, keep you from recognizing what the actual core motivation is. Cause there are lots of types who can look like sevens and are not. Yep. I think that's one of the, the, like the biggest hangups and the biggest ways that people either mistype or get confused or how they, what you were saying, react to the world, um, mm -hmm. is can be seven, like, or just based on behavior. I remember when I first learned Enneagram. I was, mm -hmm. when I first learned it, my first year, I was super excited. Like I was a seven, right? And I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, I was like looking at other people. Oh, they get angry all the time. They must be an eight. It's like, no, no, it's no, mm -mm. Mm -hmm. that's not, that's not. <laughs> so or they seem sad. They must be a four. Right, right. They seem sad. They must be a four. Gotta be, you know? So it was, it was those things that really, um, I don't know really um, throw people off when they're typing. So it, it becomes very interesting. I know you encounter this too. When you talk to people about different Enneagram types or you ask them, you know, why is this type your type? You know, when you're really trying to figure out if they really know their type and they give you behavioral things more than like essence and like motivations mm -hmm. and core. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I have to work through that, weave through that with different questions to really pin down you know, what's that core, what's that why behind what you do, what you do, why you do what yeah. you do. Yeah. So I know this is like your podcast and 
you're you're asking the questions today. But I am yeah. curious though, for for your type as a seven, do you do you see any part of that type structure as a response to your experience, um, the environmental stressors of your experience as a black man? I do. Um, I definitely think that uh, environmental stressors really push me to be to look more like an eight and mm. to look more like so I would say in like a hmm, how would I say certain situations I would come off as an eight having to look very tough having to be grounded especially mm -hmm. where I grew up at in my neighborhood it was rough it was a neighborhood without the neighbor on front so mm. um, going outside and actually like walking down the street or interacting I had to be had to be tough 100% tough you know and mm -hmm. so like that meant not being to show emotions on top of already being a seven. Right. Right. But, or at least softer emotions, because we showing emotions a lot of time, but now it's just wrapped up in being angry. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely think I ate. I would also say with my family, because interesting enough, a lot of my family, um, especially a lot of the women in which I have to still work with them on, they're eights. So yeah. So I dial back, like I really, I really go into the five mode with them. Seriously, mm -hmm. I am, I like, you know how I bring the energy when we were at um, our yeah. intensive event, you know, how, like I bring the energy, I'm laughing, mm -hmm. I make people laugh, you know, all that kind of stuff. We're just being generally myself and joyful. Um, I'm not that person with typically my family because mm -hmm. it's so much um, I wouldn't say not necessarily aggression, but just just so much high energy. Let me say yeah, that. Yeah, like um, forceful. Energy. Yes, forceful energy, forceful yeah. conversations. You know, I'm right. I know what the truth is. Type mm -hmm. of <laughs> things going on, and so much of it that I fall back into a five mode with them because it's just way too much. Like it's it's just way too much and. Um, in order to actually be heard for me, it's actually sitting back because then they have questions and then I have the ability to help calm the room. It's so interesting. You know, usually a seven typically brings the energy up. I get people hype. Right. But mm -hmm. <laughs> with my family, when things are crazy, I'm the person who calms people down. I bring a lot of five energy with my family. I am cool, calm and collected. They think my nephews and nieces, they really they talk about when something happens or something's going on, they was like, oh, don't ask uncle. He's just going to uh, use some big word we don't understand and like, you know, calm it down. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, okay. That sounds like you're describing a completely different person than the Milton I met. But exactly. It makes, that, it makes sense. Exactly. So, yeah, those environmental stressors, they definitely, definitely impact. And I would say when it comes to like a professional setting, because I want to seem competent and I don't want the um, sometimes how sabots can come off or at least people can perceive them as if they're flighty or mm -hmm. they don't know what they're talking about or they're like not to be taken serious. Mm -hmm. I can use some of that eight and some of that five quite a bit mm -hmm. um, just to make it, you know, just to make it sound like I'm grounded. What I'm talking about, I'm not showing you the really you know, joyful, playful, energy, high energy side of me, at least not yet, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. All of that makes sense. Hopefully you have found some value in this podcast episode. 
You can help to keep this podcast going by supporting us on Patreon.com. Patreon.com is a site where you can support content providers. Podcasts are free to listeners, but not free for creators. It actually costs money and definitely time to produce consistent and weekly podcasts. I podcast because I want to reach people and change our community through the Enneagram. If you want to help in that by supporting me, you can go to patreon.com forward slash do it for the gram. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash do it for the gram. And so, oh, let me talk about let's real quick, just a sidebar on these online tests. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh So if you're a listener and I'm pretty sure just about everyone has taken an online test for the Enneagram. Let's be honest. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. <laughs> to a certain extent, it's understandable. It's a, it's a really easy way to take the test, but yes. it is not the most accurate and best way to take the test. Mm-hmm. You know, it is best to find you a like an actual certified Enneagram coach and have a like an Enneagram um, interview mm-hmm. or a typing interview. Like these things actually help to find out because just like you were saying earlier, Chi Chi. Mm-hmm. what happens when you're not at home base, you right. know, and you're trying to navigate and grow, but it's not exactly what you need in order to grow and to like thrive and to be better and to actually love yourself too. Right. And it's so easy. Like with the online tests, they, you can get, you know, the same percentage score on three different types. I know. Um, and then there's like confusion about, wait, so which one am I? And, um, but I also, say, huh? When people say try types, I almost like die. Go <laughs> ahead. Almost die. Yeah. But then it's like, I, it's really hard there. I know that there are times that the, the online tests have gotten it right. So it's not True. like I'm bashing that it's, it, it's never right. But I do think it's really hard to not just test for behavior when you're doing an online test, a multiple mm-hmm. choice or rank this or rank that. Um, because in what I've learned about the Enneagram, a lot of it is, um, most of it is not really behavioral. Um, it's about the other stuff happening underneath the surface that a computer can't really assess. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a typing interview, you know, we're looking for, the words that you say, the way that you answer a question. When I do yep. typing interviews, I'm asking the same questions of everybody I meet with. Um, but each person comes to those questions very differently. And that gives way more information um, than just like a, you know, are you helpful? Um, <laughs> do you like plans? Um, <laughs> and in a typing interview, also, you get to experience a person's energy you get to watch their body language um you get to see more about their type structure from their posture um, in addition to the words that they're using so there's like a more rounded richness to having a conversation about it and I think the other for well I told you this was a soapbox so you're gonna have to kick me off of it it's all good but the other thing I you know with the the testing is that I think culturally we want, not even culturally, I think it's a human thing where we want to put people and things and life into categories. If I have a box for something, then it makes sense. So if you give me a test that can tell me my box and the box for everybody else, then I feel like I've gotten, you know, 
some tidbit that will help me advance in life or feel safer or more secure. Right. Um, and the Enneagram cannot be reduced to just, it's, it's not, the point of it is not to put us in boxes, right? It's to show us the boxes we already exist in and offer Break freedom. Mm-hmm. But it requires an ongoing process of self-observation. It requires an ongoing conversation with yourself. And so I think starting it with a conversation is more beneficial than a test that says, this is who you are. As an Enneagram um, teacher and coach and whatever, I will never know more about your type than your own lived experience of that type. So in a type typing interview, I'm asking you to tell me who you are. Then I offer observation rather than me saying, this is who you are. Because that, that cuts away from your personal journey of self-discovery, mm. right? Yes. So many so things. True. Soapbox. Ooh, I mean, <laughs> I'm done. No, but it's a really good soapbox because <laughs> it's so true. You know, yeah. it's... So I've done a couple of typing interviews. I did one, I don't know, last weekend, actually, mm-hmm. um, with a guy who turned out to be a six, you know, mm-hmm. and it was it's it's amazing. Like even when we first left, um, like our intensive week, I was mm-hmm. on a plane and I typed a lady. Right. We did a type <laughs> interview on the plane. Uh-huh. The plane, the plane trip was like three and a half hours. I was doing the interview, didn't even know that that time was like going past. It was just so quick. Right. Uh, but it was great because, like you said, there's so many ways that people say stuff, so many ways that they carry themselves, the energy they have, all of that we're able to see and assess in the words, the verbiage they use. It, it matters, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's amazing to see that. So if you're a listener and you have taken an online test and you either feel like it, it might be your type, it might not be your type, I would suggest you look for a certified Enneagram coach or teacher who can give you an Enneagram interview. And um, me and Chi-Chi both do that. And our information is going to be in the show notes. But I would definitely recommend you do that just to make sure you're actually coming out with the type that's home base for you. Mm-hmm. On this quick break, I just want to tell you a little bit about the event I have coming up that I'm super excited about. Enneagram 901 presents Intro to the Enneagram. It's my first public community event that I'm having. I'm creating an environment and a community around the Enneagram in Memphis that has not been done. And so if you're in the Memphis area and you want to come and learn more about the Enneagram and also meet and connect with other people uh, in a community around the Enneagram, please come out May 2nd at 6 p.m. at Lunchpad uh, in Memphis. And if you're not in the Memphis area, I will be putting this on Facebook and uh, Instagram live. Uh, One of my mentees is a pro at doing all that stuff, so I'm going to let him lead the way on that. And so you can also watch from there as well. Um, Anything else, I'd just be excited to hear from you, and we'll get back with Chi-Chi. Okay, so what has been one of the most beneficial things that the Enneagram has done for you? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, the the first thing I always think about in relation to that is compassion. Mm. Um, I think that working with the Enneagram, learning about myself and learning about others has made me softer and kinder to myself and to other people. It's really, it's so much harder to, to, you know, create those categories into other people. Um, I, when I first came to the Enneagram, that is how I used it. It was like, oh, you do X, Y, Z. You must be this type. 
I just right. don't even understand that type. You're so different from me. And in the years that have passed, I find that it's like, it's not that hard anymore for me to actually, like people seem more similar to me than different. Mm. Um, I'm able to see more ways in which we are alike than we are different. And I have compassion for the experience of the fact that we're all afraid of something and we all try to cope in nine different ways. And just because my coping mechanism is different from yours, doesn't make it better, doesn't make it the right way. It just reminds me that the experience of being human can be really scary um, for a lot of us in different ways. And that extending compassion to myself and compassion to other people for the ways in which they struggle is more powerful than um, putting people in boxes and ostracizing them. So I would say compassion is like the biggest one for me. Um, but also I think a different level of self-awareness, like good language around self-awareness for me has been a real gift of the Enneagram. Um, I'm a four, so I'm introspective and I like to mull over things and process and all of that. But with the Enneagram, being able to recognize the difference between my type structure and my essential self um, has been really life-changing um, mm -hmm. because I'm able to... I'm able to see my type structure in play now, recognize when I'm like going into autopilot mode <laughs> and realize that I have choice where right. for most of my life, I didn't think the choice existed. It was just, well, this is who I am. This is just what I do. There are no other options. This is just what I do. And so being able to have the freedom to choose, am I going to respond the way that I always do? Am I going to go into autopilot or am I going to do something else has been really um, helpful for my own growth. I definitely agree. I think um, one example of your compassion was, you know, when we started talking about defense mechanisms and soon as we mentioned like people giving stories about how it mm -hmm. impacts or plays out in their life, mm -hmm. I got insta nervous. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. I was like, I don't mm -hmm. want to do that. And so what was really cool because we went through and I didn't want to give my example to the group, like even though like I, you know, have a level of trust for the people in that room who right. understand the Enneagram. It's still very personal, and very private for me, you know, right. and it was really cool afterwards because I didn't divulge or say anything, but I just gave examples around what, you know, how rationalization works for a seven, like true rationalization and reframing. Mm -hmm. And you was like, <laughs> you was like. I'm so glad you didn't say anything because you mm -hmm. could tell. So the compassion you had was absolutely amazing for you to be able to communicate that too. And I think you being so attuned, especially as a four as well, being attuned to understanding and really feeling and sensing other people's emotions, mm -hmm. you you knew that it was like, no, you don't need to say nothing right now. This is not, right. not in the <laughs> I, was, I was sitting in my, we were in a circle for this conversation and um, I was sitting in my seat and I think she asked you like, you, you said something about rationalization. She said, can you give us an example? And you paused for a little bit. And it, the whole time I was sitting in my uh, chair silently going, don't do it. Don't do it, Milton. Don't do it. <laughs> like, tr trust your intuition. Don't do it. And then you said, I don't think I want to share that. And I was like, yes. Because I felt like, you know, it's not, yeah, it's like it's private. And there are certain stories and things about our lives that are sacred. And right. um, people should earn 
the right to hear those and not just like in that scenario, I felt like maybe there would have been pressure. So that's why I felt the way I did. And I was like, I'm really glad that you didn't say anything and that you honored your intuition and just said no. But yeah, I definitely appreciate it. Um, you saying that because I was like, yeah, that was mm, that was just not <laughs> not the place, not the time. Yeah. Um, can you speak to because you know a lot of times when we talked about area fours get painted as like these gloomy doom. Eeyore, always sad, depressed type of things. So Can you annoying. talk to the I know, right? Can you talk <laughs> to the beauty of the foursome for the fours out there and people who yes. are like in relationships with them? Yes. But first, um, I have this working theory that I've, I've been trying out uh, for myself and then for a lot of other fours I've come in contact with. And so far, mm. with everybody else that I've talked to, it resonates. So okay. I think I'm going to be onto something. Um, I was particularly turned off to the four type structure when I first learned about it, because I was like, uh, the whole idea of four is liking to be sad. Like I, like who likes being sad, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I just could not. And, and it, a lot of times kind of just the way, you know, you just described it of like gloomy. And, um, I certainly like, I love gloomy days right now. There is, I live in Denver. There is a mm -hmm. blizzard happening outside right now. Like the lights are flickering. Whoa. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy out there. And there's a certain like uh, romanticizing to mm -hmm. gloomy days like this. Like I like being inside and being cozy. But that's different from like I enjoy being sad. I don't enjoy being sad. My, my working theory is that um, for fours, there's probably usually an experience in childhood, maybe one experience, maybe multiple experiences where something painful um, happens. And you know how fours are referred to a lot of times as like the truth tellers in their circles. Right. Um, this painful thing happens and it's kind of like there's an elephant in the room, an elephant of pain. And the four can see it and is looking, you know, as a child, looking to the people in charge, to the adults, um, for them to like acknowledge the elephant in the room, to address it, to help the four make sense of it. And instead, what we get is a variation on the general message of get over it. Either mm -hmm. like, it's not that big of a deal. You're making too much of it. You're too sensitive. Just step over the elephant and carry on and be productive. Um, right. Or just like a complete like um, ignoring of the fact that there is something heavy and painful in the room. And so then force take on this identity of um, being the truth teller. So if the rest of you are choosing to shut your eyes to the elephant, then I see it as my job to make the elephant bigger and bigger until you can't avoid it. Wow. And so there is this um, affinity towards pain, not because pain feels good, but because it feels like no one's taking my pain seriously. So I'm trying to make it bigger and bigger so that you make, so that you take me seriously. And then in that process, force comes to distrust joy and distrust happiness, because it feels like, um, you know, the, the, the experience of it is you can't have one and also the other. So um, some of the messaging around the elephant of pain in the room might've been, 
you know, just be happy. Stop, stop paying attention to all the things that are hard. Like, look at all the things that are good, which can feel to a four like a lie. So it's mm. like, I'm looking at the elephant that's between you and me. You mm. are avoiding the elephant and you are telling me to be happy so that I come to learn that happiness and joy is, is something that I should distrust. So then when I see other people happy or see other people joyful, my first inclination is, what are you hiding? Like, right. what, where's, where's your elephant? You know? It's not authentic. Yeah. It's not authentic. But that's not true, right? So like the, the process of growth for me has been learning that I can hold both things, that I can go back to that. Because for my experience, um, it wasn't just one thing. There were multiple things. But that I could go back to that experience and tell that you know, child version of myself, you're not crazy. The elephant is real. The pain is real. And even if the people around you are avoiding it and trying to like be happy and trying to get you to not see it, doesn't mean it's not there. But also it's not your job to get everyone to validate it. You can yeah. have joy and also experience pain. But with a lot of the fours I've talked to about this, it's resonated with having some sort of experience um, that felt really painful and heavy and hard and then having the response from the people around us when we were young as like, get over it, um, choose to be happy, which feels like, tell a lie, I know, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> and so then you create this, this identity of being authentic, of being the truth teller, because the rest of you are ignoring the pain and you're avoiding it. Um, so I say that to say like, this whole idea that fours like to be sad or like to be in pain, I think it's, it's not helpful because at least in my experience, that's not true. In the experience of a lot of other fours I've talked to, that's not true. Um, but sadness and pain feels more trustworthy to us than mm. joy and happiness because of those experiences where we were told to ignore the pain and choose joy instead, rather than the invitation being, you can hold the pain and still find joy. Ooh, I need like a, a sound effect after that, like a mic drop <laughs> or something. Ooh. Some snaps. Ooh, seriously though. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not authentic. It's not real. Like a lot of times that, oh my goodness. So I was reading a quote today that like actually kind of pertains to exactly what you're talking about. It says negative emotions like loneliness, envy, and guilt have an important role to play in a happy life. They're big flashing signs that something needs to change. Like, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. So that, what you just said, that's absolutely amazing i think that's going to be real helpful to a lot of the fours listening because i know as much as i love um, the big blue book enneagram mm -hmm. when they do the description of the four it is not ooh, they don't do y'all justice not enough no, they don't no. not in that one <laughs> and i think it's it's also like i hope it is helpful for the fours who might listen to this but i hope it's helpful for the people helpful for the people in relationships with fours um, yes. to be able to know, to have a, a clearer picture of what's actually going on inside of us and how best to support us. Um, because then, you know, the continued, well, you just need to get over it. Mm -mm. Then feels like it, you know, the, the initial type structure, the tendency is to hold onto the pain even tighter because you're, yeah. you're doing the thing again, where you're telling me to not look at the elephant between us. And all I want you to do is acknowledge that there is an elephant between us. Um, but then the, you know, the, the work of, I think the beautiful thing to your original question about fours, um, yeah. is that pain doesn't scare us. 
right? Mm. So it's like suffering doesn't scare me. It's not the um, that's 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 one of the beautiful things that comes from this uh, um, type structure of trying to be the truth tellers about pain is that I've lived with the elephant my whole life. So it doesn't scare me. Um, and so because of that, I can sit with other people's pain. Um, and it doesn't scare me. I don't feel overwhelmed. I don't feel like I'm going to drown. Um, and I feel like I can help point out different, um, different things in their own experience of pain that they might not have been able to see because I'm so well-versed in the experience of pain and suffering. Doesn't mean I love to be there, but now it's one of my gifts because it's familiar to me. Um, So I think the ability of fours to hold deep deep empathy um, and deep understanding for other people's struggles is one of the beautiful things about fours. I think also the ability to take something messy and painful and make something beautiful out of it Mm-hmm. Whether that's, you know, in some creative form. Um, but for spend a lot of time, like mining through and sifting through their experiences and sorting out what happened and how did I feel about it and all of that. And I'm usually able to come away from that process with here is a beautiful synthesis of all of this hardship and pain I experienced. Here's something beautiful that came out of that. And to be able to offer that to myself and to the world. And I think, you know, (laughs) maybe I'm biased, obviously, because I'm a four, but um, I think another good thing we bring in relationships is that uh, we don't let people get away with being asleep Mm. to who they are, to what they're doing, because we're constantly looking underneath the surface for ourselves and for others. Um, We tend to point out things that people might not have seen about themselves both True. beautiful, both beautiful and both hard, you know, but that there is, we are truth tellers um, because we're constantly looking for the truth because of that experience of, again, back to the elephant of like, this is what I see is true. And I'm trying to get you to see that this is here and this is true. So I feel like I've spent a lot of my life constantly trying to find out what is true. Um, and part of that can be detrimental, but part of that Um, is really helpful in relationships because I do tend to take on the role of truth teller and it helps. I'm so committed to my own growth and I think committed commitment to my own growth helps the people around me also grow. Yeah. And that's, I think that's one of the things um, as I grow as a seven, um, I admire about fours because you know, at the beginning, I think for sevens, like, you know, most people get the Enneagram type and sometimes the first one is like, oh, I don't know if that's me. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's picture perfect. I think for sevens, a lot of times it's like, oh, yeah, I'm a seven. You <laughs> uh-huh. know? But then you actually start to read and do work. Then it's like, oh, my goodness, I'm a seven. Mm-hmm. So I think something that I admire about fours is just you all understand feel and have experience with a multitude of emotions yeah whereas as a seven my whole life i have escaped from emotions that weren't either happy slash anticipatory happy Mm -hmm. or angry so you know i have a struggle I am actually studying emotions right now it's one of the things i'm working on it's actually studying the different emotions 
and then realizing when they actually happen within me. Yes. So that's such good work. <laughs> yes, it is. And it's, it's, yeah, it's tough. I'll tell you that mm -hmm. it's really tough. Um, but, uh, it's really good work. Like, I, you know, I feel so much more whole now yes. that when I see something that is, um, see, I, I'm struggling with emotional words right now. See something that <laughs> is touching. That's not uh -huh. really emotional necessarily, but when I see something that's touching where I actually like shed a tear, uh -huh. I'm like, Ooh, this that is, moved me. Right. This actually moved me. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm here. I'm present with it. Mm -hmm. um, so I absolutely love that. I was watching The Good Doctor earlier today. And every episode, I drop at least one or two tears. It's <laughs> so good. Um, but yeah. it actually helps like heal me. And I think, too, what I also admire about fours, what I've come to learn is because fours understand the range of emotions, especially the ones that um, I guess are considered uh, considered sad or sadder or uh, not as pleasant. Mm -hmm. I feel like, especially just thinking about the movie Inside Out, where mm -hmm. in order for you to really appreciate life and really get the full essence and the feeling and experience out of life, you need the whole range and especially yes. the sadder ones to help you appreciate life more. Mm -hmm. A lot of the friends who I have a four or people I work with that are fours, I just feel like when I actually like pay attention and I'm present, <laughs> they experience and enjoy life to me way more than most types because it's like when it's something they really love and they're there, I mean, they're like literally there. They, yes. they feel it in every inch of their body kind of deal, mm -hmm. you know? So mm -hmm. that's something I definitely admire about fours um, that I'm working on getting towards, you know, instead of being somewhere that's great and then trying to think of the next thing to do as right. a, I have a tendency to do what I'm working on. Mm -hmm. it, you all are able to just be in the moment and understand and feel and taste and breathe. Like all our five senses to me are like heightened with fours. And it's just how I see it, you know, mm. it's just yeah. like experience life in such a rich way that um, I think a lot of people miss out on if they're not working on themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that I agree with that richness. There's definitely a richness to the experience, but I would also say you offer us something too. I think that there's a similarity between fours and sevens where we choose our ends of the spectrum. We're sure. on opposite ends. And then we just make that our home base and forget <laughs> that there's so much life in the middle. Oh, true. And so I think that as the four is like you described, we offer an invitation um, for others to move into the more difficult experiences and recognize that they will not overwhelm you and that there's so much beauty to be found in the difficult, painful experiences. I think sevens also extend the invitation to me as a four um, to trust joy more and to trust happiness more and to move towards that experience, um, knowing that, like starting to believe that the movement towards joy does not mean an avoidance of pain, but right. that I can hold both things. So I feel like we, we kind of like are, we're doing the same work, but on the opposite ends of the spectrum and then working to meet in the middle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So what, um, and you hit on some of these before, what would you say is most misunderstood about fours in your, from your life? Mm. Well, you know, definitely the piece about sadness and the distrust of joy. Right. Um, but 
I would also say, I think that there is this, I've heard people talk about fours as like, well, they just want to be separate and they just want to be different um, and away from everybody else. But the core fear of a four is abandonment. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be existentially alone. Um, And so a lot of what we do with our type structures of trying to find ways to stand out and be unique um, is actually an effort to say like, hey, please see me and invite me into the circle of belonging because somehow I think that I don't, you know, I didn't get the full access pass to the belonging festival and I'm on the outside. So if I stand out, if I make myself stand out in some way, then maybe you'll see me and offer an invitation for me to join in. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's that fear of, if you see me too clearly, you might see that I'm inadequate, that I'm cooler from afar, which is a thing I've said for most of my life. Um, I, don't, I'm, I don't believe it anymore, but I did for a long time, that I'm cooler from afar. Um, because if you see me, then you'll get to see that I'm actually inadequate. And then you might take away the offer of belonging. And, and then I go back to being existentially alone. So I think people have this idea that fours love being alone. Like we're individualists, which means we don't need other people. We just want to like marinate in our own feelings and then, <laughs> um, and then bring something out to the world. But recognizing that I think loneliness is a common experience the fear of loneliness is a common experience Um, and that can build empathy in other types for fours that it's um, we do it. We all do it in different ways, but as a four, it's like my, my techniques don't really work because they actually do keep me outside. You know, it blocks me from connection, which is the very thing I'm craving. Um, But for other people to recognize that underneath all of that is the desire to connect. It just feels scary um, to show up fully without the mask of being unique. I think the other thing that um, I think both for fours and for other people who are in a relationship with fours is the idea that, you know, like, so fours are authentic. That's part of the idealization, the thing that we think we need to be. But I think something that was really huge for me um, a couple years ago was discovering how much um, how inauthentic I actually am because I be I begin to make authenticity an image, a mask, rather than being present in this moment um, and allowing myself to experience the present moment authentically, I create this image of authenticity. So if my image is, um, I'm always smart and introspective and deep and intellectual, then I feel like I have to always be that way in every single interaction I have in order to keep up the image of authenticity where true authenticity would be, oh, in this moment, I feel really silly and <laughs> joyful and, and not at all deep or introspective. And that's still me. That's still truthfully, authentically me. But fours become so identified with the image of authenticity that we lose our own actual authenticity um, and then become this image. So I think that there's, um, I have four friends who, uh, we'll talk about, I have one particular friend I'm thinking about where when we hang out, I'm usually the one who's like lighthearted and goofy. And, and so then I kind of like draw her into that experience. And we've talked about how like there are multiple times she'll, she'll leave when we've hung out thinking to herself, wait, was that really me? Cause I was so lighthearted and so playful right. and so goofy 
was I just like putting on a show because the image of authenticity is the truest version of myself is always serious and always deep <laughs> and always introspective. So when I, when I'm not that, it's like, is that me? And that actually mm. blocks us from the full experience of who we are because we think we need to just be this authentic image we've created. And that can look different for different fours, right? But right. just noticing what is the image versus what's actually me. Mm. <laughs> mm. Richness. That's what I was talking about. That richness. No, that was, that was, yeah, that was really good. I think, I think that's definitely one of the things that fours are definitely misunderstood with. It's like, mm -hmm. definitely. Um, and I, th and I think that the, a way to support a four in that is to remind us that we can be a lot of different things, that it's okay to be, to not have a serious conversation that we can go out to happy hour and talk about absolutely nothing. And that, that version of us, you also enjoy. Cause that, you know, it's like, it's all about connection and all about belonging. And so then the, the thought process is if I'm, if I don't put this image of authenticity that I've had, I've created, then um, I'm not bringing anything special to the table and they oh, will not want yeah. to be in relationship with me anymore. So reminding us that all the different parts of us are seen and accepted and loved and not just the image that we've created of being whatever, you know, deep introspective. Right. It's an invitation into being more fully who we are. Mm. Love that. Um, I think that's all I have for today. I'm going to have to have you on again. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> this is, <laughs> um, before we go, can you once again um, tell them about Thin Space mm -hmm. and then also tell them about any events and how they can reach you? Yeah, so um, you can find information on my website, thinspaceco.com. Um, also follow along on Instagram at, at thinspaceco. Um, I do, I, I teach workshops in the Denver area um, and I'm gonna be hosting gatherings in the Denver area this summer as well. But I do a lot of the typing interview, um, Enneagram coaching, couples consulting, that sort of thing. I do that both in person and uh, um, online. So even if you're not in the Denver area, but would like to learn more about Enneagram or your type, um, paths to growth and development, we can definitely do that. And you can find all of that information on my website. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a Thank blessing. Thank you for having me. Thank like, you for having me. It was real fun. Yes, super, super great. Um, definitely have you back sometime in the future. Um, okay. And definitely we're going to find like an Enneagram retreat or a convention or something that we're going to meet up with the crew. And yes. uh, we're going to mastermind. It will happen. Right. We're going to mastermind and make some more amazing things happen and really, um, you know, improve our communities and constantly just get better. Yes. Yep. I'm in. So thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and rate the show. Please subscribe and rate the show. Um, you can uh, reach me on Instagram at do it for the grand podcast. Also, you can go to do it for the grand podcast.com where I have a free um, Enneagram tool for you. If you subscribe to that. Also, if you need any um, consulting or coaching work with the Enneagram, if you're not contacting Chi Chi, you can contact me. Either one, we both will do wonderful jobs and work really hard to make sure um, we do our best to help you grow. 
And that is, you can reach mine at kaizencareers.com and you can contact me at milton at kaizencareers.com. Um, besides that, thank you so much for being here. We'll see you on the next episode. And just remember, when you're struggling in life and things seem to be acting really weird, um, do it for the gram. The Enneagram, of course. Thank you. See you next time.